Deer found her. As you know, there's no blueprint for entrepreneurship. You wear so many hats, you burn the midnight oil, you pour your heart and soul into everything that you do. But without a doubt, the journey is worth every single second that you put into it. I'm Lindsay Pinchuk, host of the Deer Found Her podcast. I say this because I've lived it for over a decade. I started my first company with $500 in my pocket and a baby in my belly. I grew it and I sold it all. This podcast is my weekly letter to you. We'll talk all things starting, growing, nurturing, and in some cases, even selling a business. Together with some of my closest contacts, I'm here to help you find your own success, whatever that means to you. The ride as a founder is the ride of your life. So come on in and join me for another episode that will get you one step closer to reaching your own founder goals. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Founder. I am so excited to be back with another amazing conversation with an incredible guest. And if you don't know her, you certainly know her store or you've seen it. And after today, her story is going to completely blow you away. I'm your host, Lindsay Pinchuk, and I was so excited to meet today's guest as I've been trying to meet her and work with her for years, years ago. I mean, years ago, before Bump Club, before kids, I happened upon a store in a dine in Minnesota when I was there for business. It was adorable. And it just so happened to be the first ever Eve location. Fast forward to years later, I tried so hard to get to the right person, as did multiple members of my team, to try to build a relationship with EverEve and Bump Club and Beyond, especially because their core customer is moms. Well, that never happened, but here we are, and this time I found the right person and she connected me to Megan Tomty, who is here today to share the story of taking her idea for one store to a hundred and bringing in close to $300 million in revenue next year. I don't know about you, but I do still love going into a store. And as you'll hear Megan talk about today, there is something about touching and feeling the clothes, coming out of the fitting room, getting everyone's opinion, that makes shopping in a store far superior to the experience of shopping online. And while that is certainly convenient, there definitely isn't any camaraderie in my bedroom, except for my husband telling me to return what has arrived in the box on my porch. As a brick and mortar store first, Ever Eve still offers the experience that most retails no, retailers no longer do, which is why so many millions of women and so many millions of moms love shopping there. If this conversation today inspires you, I want you to share it with a friend. Share it on social media. Tag me, tag Evereve, tag Megan Tomty. I'll come and say hi for sure. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a review on Apple or subscribe to the show. All of these conversations that we have here, like the one you're about to hear today, they are so amazing. And it's important that as many people as possible get the chance to hear them. When you do the little things like share an episode or review an episode or subscribe to the show, it helps the show and it helps the people on the show to get discovered. And most important, it helps me to spread our mission to help as many female founders and entrepreneurs as we possibly can. Megan Tomty is a visionary entrepreneur 
20-some years ago, a dressing room disaster inspired her to reimagine the woman's shopping experience, and today she's co-founder and co-CEO of Evereve, a contemporary fashion retailer with over 1 million customers, 100-plus stores from coast to coast, a booming e-commerce business, and a fast-growing subscription box service called Trendsend. Megan attributes her success to her unwavering passion for people, an eye for curating incredible, an incredible product mix, and, fo- and fostering an unparalleled work culture from the retail floor to the home office rooted in the brand's signature heart values, humility, empathy, authenticity, relationships, and tenacity. Please come in and meet the amazing Megan Tomty. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Found Her. I am incredibly excited about today's guest because as I just shared with her, I have been trying to meet her for years. I've been trying to work with her for years in my past at Bump Club, but that the past is the past. Here we are in the present. And I'm very excited that Megan Tamty, who is the co-founder and co-CEO of a store that so many of you know and so many of you shop at, is here today. She is the co-founder and co-CEO of Evereve. And Megan, I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you, Lindsay. I'm so excited to be here and to get to spend time talking to with you today. I am enthralled with your story. You know, we are in a world right now where retail is shrinking. It's not a secret. Yet Evereve is growing and it's booming. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere I turn. It's everywhere I turn on social media. Mm-hmm. A big brand new one just opened in the suburbs by my house. Can't wait to go. And so I'd love for you to share your story. How did this come to be? How did you get to where you are? And tell us about Evereve. Yeah, well, it's been a story that's been in motion for many, many, many years. Um, The the origins of the brand started um, many years ago when I had a terrible experience in a dressing room. I was living in California at the time. I was a mom with young kids and I went shopping and was looking for clothing that would make me feel um, modern. Um, I wanted clothing that was um, comfortable, relaxed, but had a little bit of edge to it. Um, And I also wanted an experience that was warm and welcoming. I wanted a contemporary experience with a store with a house of brands. So a really curated experience, um, but I wanted it in a very warm environment. And I went shopping that day looking for these things for this great product that was very specific and a really great environment. And I didn't find it. And so I ended up that day, instead of finding what I was looking for, I ended up crying in a dressing room. And I was literally, um, I had my daughter with me who was a little baby at the time and she was crying. I was crying. I remember being hot and sweaty and I just, I, I was lonely and feeling like, I don't know. I remember it sounds, it sounds silly to say now, but I really was kind of wondering if I was mattered anymore, if I was worth it all this fashion. (laughs) And um, I was sad for about 20 minutes and cried. And then it was really on the, the, I left the dressing room, went to my car, did not buy anything that day. And it was really on the drive home from the mall that day that I started to reimagine what that day could have been like. And that was really the moment I um, envisioned 
what is now today Ever Eve. So that was actually over 25 years ago. I had that bad experience. It took about seven years from that dressing room experience to the time we opened our first store, but that is where the brand began in a dressing room. So what happened during those seven years? (laughs) Because, you know, I mean, starting a company is no small feat. You and I both know that. And what was the evolution to, to be able to open those doors for the first time? And, and what did you do prior? Like, I mean, were you, were you a stay at home mom at this point? Did you have a career previously that you left? Like kind of what I would love for you to share that. Yeah. I think those are great questions. And I love that you want to talk about it because I think those are really seven really, um, interesting years for me. Um, no, I was a stay at home mom at the time. Prior to that, I was a third grade teacher. So I, um, I was raised by a family of educators. My mom was a teacher in, in the suburbs of Chicago. My dad was a principal in Winnetka. And I, I just thought I love kids. Um, I just thought that I would follow in their footsteps and be a teacher. And, um, so no, I was a teacher and then I wanted to start my family. I really wanted to be a mom. I was really excited about building a family and I started, um, young And I wanted to be home with those babies when they were little. And so I left my teaching career and began started, started my family. And I was really not, um, on the mission to start a fashion company. It wasn't something that I was set out to do, but during those seven years, I realized it was what I was born to do. And what happened after that dressing room experience was I built this brand literally on the drive home from the shopping mall. And I could not stop talking about it. It was um, a conversation. Um, It was this dream that just started to, to develop. And it was something that I found myself really interested in and I got excited about it. I would talk about it. I would dream about it. I was research about it. I just kind of became passionate about this company that I developed on the way home from this horrible experience, which was very surprising to me because that was not what I saw in my future. So really what happened during those seven years was I sort of tried to make that dream go away. I I, I tried to ignore it. It kept surfacing. I kept talking about it every even then it kept I tried to like make it go away. I had another child, I had a baby and I was so happy, loved being a mom, loved being home with my kids. But there was just this nagging, rumbling, which I call a a dream that just kept popping up. So as much as I tried to shoo it away and, and make it go away, it kept reappearing. And I would say five years after. So again, this is a seven-year journey. At year five, I started to listen to the dream a little more seriously because um, I was starting just to, I call it a rumbling. I was just starting to feel um, a little bit sad and I was starting to watch a lot of TV. I was just getting a little depressed, a little down. Um, and I was crying. I don't know why I was crying a lot, but I was like at night, I'd feel sad. (laughs) I was not sleeping. I remember I had like insomnia and I was like, something is going on. Something's just not right. 
And I decided at that time to spend um, a good chunk of my morning time. I would get up in the early, early morning. And I just devoted a lot of time to just listening, um, prayer, meditation, reading. I just found some quiet time to really try to understand what was going on. And it was during that two years I spent getting up early and just writing. I would write and read and just quiet time, which was really hard because I had kids at the time. I realized that I think this is a dream that's meant to be born. I think there's something else in me that has to get out. And I came to the conclusion that it was this dream that was in my heart to start this company. Guess what? I have a couple spots open on my coaching calendar starting November 1st. Many of you have asked how you can work with me one-to-one to build your community through sustainable social media practices, partnerships and collaborations, email marketing, and more. Earlier this summer when I announced I was taking clients, the spots filled up in less than a week. I've taken on many clients since then, and my calendar has been pretty full until now. But the good news is that my calendar is opening up a little bit, and I'll be taking on a couple of new clients later this fall, before the holidays, just in time for the new year. So if you're interested, grab 30 minutes from the link in my show notes, and let's talk about how we can work together to build your community for bottom line growth. I cannot wait to meet you. So what pushed you over to actually start it? Because <laughs> that's, that's a bit, yeah. you know, that's a big thing. Like a lot of people have dreams and have ideas and they kind of just let them fester or they don't necessarily act on them, but you did. Yeah. Well, I, I it came to a, a spot where I realized that, I, and it was scary. It was a scary realization. Like this was terrifying to realize, oh my gosh, I think you need to do this. I think this is what's keeping you up at night, what's making you feel uneasy, what's causing you tension in your life is this conflict of like, I think you might need to start this company. Um, What really caused me to do it was sort of a cheesy, cheesy, but epic moment. (laughs) I was um, doing a lot of TV watching in those times. It would almost be like what today is like scrolling through social media I was watching a lot of um, reality TV at that time. So it was the era of like Big Brother, Survivor, American Idol. I was numbing my pain at night by watching TV. And I had this moment. It was season two. This is super cheesy, Lindsay. Are you ready for the story? It was like (laughs) season two of American Idol. And it was Rupert Stuttered and Clay again. And I... I was just laying on the couch and I watched Ruben win that night. And I watched, um, like this, this moment where like confetti fell and like the music played, it was just like this epic moment. And I had this moment in my, in my head where I said, here you are watching everybody else make their dreams come true. Cause I thought about the producers of the show, the makeup artists, the people made the commercials, the people playing the music. Like it is, didn't just think of like Ruben Stutter. I thought about like all the people at that moment making this dream come true of, you know, the show that was inspiring so many people. And I just sat there and said, here you are just laying on the couch, watching other people's dreams come true. And I literally, I'm not kidding. Like it was epic. It was, I got off the couch. I like rose. I like, I just was like, 
I'm done watching TV. And I turn the TV off, which I equate today to like getting off social media. Yeah. Even though I'm a huge fan of, I mean, I like social media. I'm on social media now, but if you have a dream that's festering, you need time to make that dream happen. So sometimes you have to get rid of the things that are getting in your way, especially those things where you're watching other people's dreams come true. And I just had it. I was like, I'm done. I'm, it is time for me to write my own story. It's time for me to make my own dreams come true and stop watching other people. And then I sat down and I wrote all my dreams onto paper, which is huge because I had not written the whole idea out on piece of paper. So I started writing literally like at this time, five years or six years of ideas that I'd been creating. I started pouring them out on paper. My husband was so, so sweet. He would say, go write, just write, 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 write this all down, get it all on paper. One night I remember telling him, should I even write the dumb ideas out? He was like, write them all. Like the good, the the ones that you even think are silly, just get them all out. And I replaced that time at night that I was watching TV with writing. And I did that about three months. I wrote those dreams down. And then I handed that piece of paper to my husband, who is a CPA. Very important when you're running a business. And he put together a business plan. and he. wrote out all the costs and, um, figured out what would be our break even point. If I made this dream come true financially. And he came to the number $1,500 and he sat down with me one night, we sat down together and he said, okay, we can do this. We can start this company. You can make this dream come true. If you think you can sell $1,500 of product every day. And I, he, he actually broke it down because this is how he thinks um, into like five pair of jeans, three tops, two shoes, whatever. I'm making that up. But and I took some time to think about that. I said, do I think I could sell that much to hit that number every day? And after some thinking, I came back to him and I said, I do. I think I think that's a really doable number. He said, if you think you can do that number then we can build this brand. You can, we can build a business that will break even at that number. And so that was really, I think that was the defining moment, like deciding, do I think I can hit that number? Because I knew if I didn't hit that number every day that I would, this business wouldn't make it. And I would, um, I'd probably lose my house because, and my car and everything I had, because we had to sign a million dollar personal guarantee to, to have that first door. And we didn't have a million (laughs) dollars. We did not have anywhere close to a million dollars. So it was a pretty important day was realizing saying, yes, I think I can hit that number. And then we went and it was the most terrifying day of my life. We went and, um, signed a lease for our first location in Minneapolis. That was 2004. So almost 18 years ago. So 18 years ago, you signed your first location in Minneapolis. Yep. How, many lo- how many locations do you have? It's about a hundred. Yep. About a hundred stores now. In- and we hit, we hit that $1,500 a day number. <laughs> so how long did it take you to hit that $1,500 a day and really get to the point where you were like, oh, okay, this is something. And now I'm going to open up a second location, you know, yeah. because 
Yep. Of course, it's been 18 years, you know, one search to 100. I mean, that I mean, yeah. you are a huge, huge brand. And I really yeah. kind of want to get into the weeds yeah. of like. Yeah, I love that. Well, we we really from the very beginning, I felt what I was looking for that day. I felt like there was um, a white space in the market. I felt like there must be other women like me who are at the stage of life I'm at, who are looking for fashion in a contemporary fashion, in a very curated setting. So curation is very important because I was a mom with kids. Um, I, I loved fashion, but I had a lot going on in my life other than finding clothes for myself. And my life was very full. I just wanted a really curated assortment of fashion, contemporary brands that were um, modern and versatile and had a little bit of edge and worked with my life. And I wanted this environment where people, I wanted a boutique environment where people would talk to me and be warm and welcome my kids and my family. And I just felt like I, I have a feeling I'm not the only woman out there who maybe wants what I want. And I believe that so much. And it sounds so naive. And my husband believed it too, that we were like, we're going to build a brand around this. This is different. This is different. We have something that is interesting. And we think there are more women like me that are looking for what I was looking for that day. And we believe that so much that we were silly enough to think that we could build a national brand. But when we opened that first door, we set out to build a national brand. And we just knew that let's see if the concept worked in that first door first. Let's see, let's just see if this idea worked. And if it does work, we will continue rapid growth and we'll build this quickly and fast and we'll do it profitably. Like we're not going to do this in, in debt. We're not, we're not going to go into debt to do this. We're going to do it profitably. So no, it took the very first day we opened the store and I had to learn a lot. I, I do want to say that after I signed the lease of that first store, I was, I, I don't think there's been a scarier day in my entire life. I was um, terrified, like literally I was terrified on the drive home. I looked at my husband. I said, I am so scared. And he was like, I am so scared too. And I was like, do you know how to do this? And he was like, not really. Do you? And I was like, not really. And then the teacher in me, this is where my teacher, my, my background is so in, interesting and important. The teacher in me knew that I could go figure it out. And the teacher in me knew that I could go to the library. And literally that night, Lindsay, I went to the library, the local library. And I went in and talked to the librarian. And I said, I just signed a lease for a store. I need to figure out how to open a store. Um, and the librarian walked me to these shelves. And I found this book called Hug Your Customers. And I found probably 10 books that day. But that is a book. I pulled this book down and I, I there was this man named Jack Mitchell who built this really great brand in, um, in Greenwich, Connecticut. It's called Mitchell's. And I think they are Richard Richards and Mitchell's. I don't know. They've merged two companies, but I read this story and I was like, Oh my gosh. And I just began this incredible learning journey. Like I was 
completely aware that I had not done this before. My husband kept telling me, cause I was a little worried about not being an expert, which I laugh now because I was like 30 and who, who's an expert at anything at the age of 30, you know, but I was very insecure about not being an expert. And my husband kept saying to me, you're, you're not an expert now, but you will become an expert. And so I just became a student of everything. I had to learn how to go to Los Angeles, to New York. I had to go to buying shows and buy clothing. I just had to figure it all out. And my husband did too. We had to just be students. So we, yeah, we just became students of the business. We owned that we did, we had a dream and a vision, but we did not know everything. So when we opened that first store, I stood at the door that, that day. And while the store was not perfect, it wasn't. Um, Cause I look back at pictures and I'm like, oh my goodness, I didn't have any print in that whole store. It was all solid, <laughs> solid product. There was not one print in the store. Um, it was not perfect. It had, it, it had enough to really showcase the aesthetic and the, 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 the point of view on fashion that I wanted. Um, and I stood there and I just welcomed women warmly. And I just told them all about my dream and all about that experience and what I was looking for that day. I told them my story and women connected with it. They were like, you know what? I, I get it. That's me. I'm not woman. So, and I, I warmed them welcomely and said, I'm going to help you. I'm going to, I'm going to show you this curate. I'm going to show you fashion. I'm going to make you look like a million bucks and your kids are welcome. Your family's welcome. We're going to talk. We're going to be the boutique. We talk to you. We, we guide you to pieces that are going to fit who you are, and we're going to make you look amazing. Today's episode is brought to you by Hivecast, an amazing agency providing high-quality podcast production made simple and affordable. I hit the jackpot when I came across Hivecast as I pieced together services from contractors all over the web initially to help me with my podcast. Hivecast was everything that I needed all in one place. For just $500 per month, they not only produce and edit four episodes, but they also create the marketing assets. Emma, my account manager, is amazing, making sure that I'm on task and that we can schedule episodes regularly and by my deadlines. Honestly, the time saved working with Hivecast is worth at least triple what I'm paying. Their sister company, Fireside, offers other marketing services for small businesses, including social media management, Facebook and Instagram ads, search engine marketing, and so much more. Again, all at a rate palatable by a small business owner. The best part, there's no contract. You can purchase their services as needed on a monthly basis. Use the code FOUNDHER and save 50% off your first month of services. Give them a try. The decision to outsource this part of my business has surely saved me a ton in the long run, and it was the best decision I've made for my business. I was in that original store. You I, were. Used, yeah. I was. I used to go to Minneapolis prior to even Bump Club. I used to work for the Hearst Corporation and Minneapolis was my territory. And um, I did go into that store and I very vividly remember I didn't have kids at the time I was pregnant. And I very vividly remember feeling very welcomed and also feeling like I could ask for help. Yep. And there were kids in the store and no one cared. And, you know, and I share these things because this is not your typical retail experience right. for a woman's clothing boutique at the time and maybe even now. So how do you how do you kind of build this brand off of 
something that isn't the norm, even if it's something that people want and get the word out about it. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like you, you didn't just build a store. I mean, you really built a place that a community, right? Like a community community of women. Yep. And, and, you know, when I say women, it it is, it is definitely, you know, not just for moms, but moms, I I would say is your target demo. Yep. Feel comfortable going. And, you know, to the point that now, you know, everyone who talks about ever Eve talks about your stylist. Like it's not when you talk about your brand, it's not, Oh, I went in and the and like the the girl helped me. You know, it's everyone. Oh, it is the stylist, it's and yep. it's like you've built a culture surrounding your store that really is no one else has that. So right. I, you know, I and I would love for you to kind of talk about how you make that happen and how you make that happen at scale. Yeah, well, I think you know, I think it always starts with the heart. So it always starts for just the genuine care for the customer. And I definitely, everybody who works at every, they know my heart as the founder, as the CEO, they know that I don't want anybody that comes into the store that ends up crying in a dressing room like I did that day. So it really starts with the story of the brand. And, and I think when you are hired to work for a company, you're hired to add value to the promise that the founder is making to the company, which is we're not going to leave you alone in a dressing room. Like this is not where she started this company because she didn't want women to be crying in a dressing room where no one was talking to her or no one was helping her, or she didn't find anything that met her where she was at fashion wise. So it, it really does start with, you know, hiring people that understand the vision of this company and making the vision very clear to the, them in the store. It starts by hiring women that and men that care deeply, um, that love fashion. I, you know, we we you if you're going to work at every, we are high fashion. I mean, that's that's probably one of the things I'm the most proud of, is that our fashion is so on point, but we offer it in a very warm, kind environment, which you don't always find like those two sometimes usually don't mix like great fashion and nice people, warm people. That's not something you often see together. (laughs) And so I love that. So we, we just find people that really love fashion and, but they love people more. Like it's like their, their fashion, like, you know, love for fashion is very high, but their, that their love of people is just even higher. So I think it's the genuine just concern and compassion and love for the people that come through the door and then a willingness to say, my job here is not to sell to you, but to serve you. It's it's all about how can I help you find what you're looking for today? We're going to dare you a little bit because we do know fashion more that we know how, not necessarily even fashion, but we know our product really well. So we always are going to make suggestions or put something in a room or, you know, say, try this or try that only because that's what we do. Like we, we know our products so well. You just said something that I talk about all the time here on social media, really everywhere. And you said that we're here to serve you. And really and truly that just speaks to the fact that you are a community first 
company. Yes. Because when you have a community who loves you, trusts you, believes in you, shows up for you, it's because you're serving them. Yeah. You're not trying to make the sale. Of course, we we love that, but we have to hit our numbers. But the way I hit my numbers was never through selling. It was always through serving and really focused on the customer and and using what we do well and just guiding her to what we think she's going to want because she walked in the store, which is fashion, right? Clothing, an outfit. So it's just that, um, yeah, using it to serve her and not to sell to her. So we hire the right people. We help them understand the vision. We hire people that love fashion. They're crazy about fashion, but they love people more. And we really um, challenge them and ask them to serve them and not sell to them. That's sort of how we get that. I think that really interesting experience in our store that feels really good. People can't quite name it, but it feels really good. And it's really special. And it is the thing people talk most about when they talk about our brand. So let's talk about this because I briefly touched upon this at the top of the conversation, but you know, we are in a place right now where retail is shrinking and, you know, you go into any city in our country, especially since the pandemic, and there's so many open retail spaces, yet you guys are opening and you guys are opening bigger locations. So why do you think that is? And what makes Evereve an, the anomaly? that allows you to continue to do this. And I know you have a robust e-commerce site and you can certainly buy your products online as well. But when I think about Evereve, I think first and foremost of not your website, but of the people that I know who go into the store and get help. So, you know, how do you continue to grow that when people are really just kind of retreating to their home? Yeah, well, a couple of things. The number one reason businesses go out of businesses, people run out of, they run out of money. And so we've been always financially disciplined. So we hit our numbers. If we don't hit our numbers, we figure out why we're not hitting our numbers. And we all, you know, we don't blame. We just say, okay, what's going on? We become students again. So I think a lot of it is our culture and we we've built our company from the inside out. So we've, you know, I, I, I like to say when you're building a company, you can only focus on so much. And I think it's really important to um, think about what are the most important things to focus on. And in my journey, the beginning years, and for most of my career, although my, my focus is shifting now, which is exciting, but a lot of my um, focus was on creating that customer experience. So I was, you know, we were in the store, we were very hands-on, that relationship with that customer, building our culture and really, um, really mastering our product. Like those things, you know, mastering our product um, has been what we've been working on for 18 years. The customer experience working on for 18 years, we've become, I'd like to say we're kind of masters at all those things. And we've scaled those things. Um, and culture. Those are the three things that have primarily been our company focus for, th- for the past 18 years. And I just think um, we've stayed very focused on those things. Um, we know our customer really well. 
So we are, I am as a leader, I'm a hands-on relational CEO. I am our customer. I love being with our customer. I love talking to our customer. I love talking to our managers. I love relationships. I try on our clothes. If I am the CEO and I still every week try on our new arrivals and I run a company that is going to do $300 million in revenues next year. Congratulations. Thank you. I am product first. Like I am. And as a result, our company, everyone in our company from our top executives play with product. Like we give our, we give our stylists permission to play with our product because we care so much about getting that product right. And a lot of, and we care so much about the customer and we have relationship, we have deep relationships with our product and our people and our customers. So I have deep relationships as a CEO with those two things. So I think that relentless focus on product and, and our customer is a huge part of our success. And it so starts you, at the top. <laughs> and so you say you, you know your customer well, and you and I both know what it's like to start a company that's targeting moms. And I would love for you to weigh in on how you think moms have played into your success because you can tell me what you think, but I always, I mean, my whole first company was built on the power of word of mouth marketing from moms, moms alone. And it was before social media. And you also started long before social media. And I, and I know you do a ton on social media now, and you guys do a great job tapping into influential moms, but I just, I think moms are the best customers that you could ever have. Yep. I think they are. I think um, the modern mom cares about her fashion and she wants, knows that taking care of your fashion isn't frivolous, that it's actually part of wellness and it's part of taking care of herself. And I think, and I'm so grateful that moms today know that, um, the best gift they can give to their family is to, you know, pursue their dreams, be themselves, live into who they are, um, get dressed every day and be live fully. And I, I, I do think that that is a lot of the woman that is attracted to us. So fashion is part of her life. It's not the whole thing by any means, it's small sliver, but, um, the best way the the word of mouth gets spread is when the women who wear our clothes look good and feel good in their clothes, you know? Yeah. And I'm so proud when I see women walking around town. I mean, I'll be at the airport. I was on, I travel all the time. I'll look at women and I'm always proud because they look like they feel good. Like our core customer, the woman who loves every, she's fully alive. Like she's, she's living life fully. She's moving she's doing things. She's going places. She's, she's not sitting at home on the couch watching American Idol. (laughs) She might be scrolling a little bit of social media, but this is a very active woman who's so, so when she has her clothes on, she's like a walking billboard because she is wearing our clothes. I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yeah, No, it does. Because I just, I just think that moms are so powerful and I, 
I, I mean, I feel so lucky that I, you know, and I, I kind of started bump club on accident and it, it like, you know, it wasn't, I, I didn't really know what I was going to do. It was, it, I didn't think about it as long as you thought about ever Eve. And, you know, I always feel very fortunate that I started a company for moms because mm-hmm. when you have something really good and something that resonates with moms, they are your best customer. And I, and I often yeah. think about like what would have happened if I started a company that wasn't mom focused? I don't know. I, I have no idea. You know, I mean, that's all I know is that I started this company for moms and it worked so well and they were my best marketers, period. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about how Ever Eve as a brand has evolved because it has. Yeah, um, it's evolved. And you guys just launched your own denim brand. I mean, your own denim yeah, line. Yeah, and like, we have guys, evolved. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, what's really fun right now, you know, well, I'll back up, you know, the beginning years of our brand, I really told the story of the brand through the lens of motherhood. Because when I started, I was this young mom looking for fashion and looking for a place that would meet my needs as a young mom. And, um, that mayor, and, and really, I truly wanted to help women moms specifically realized like you can be a mom and you can love fashion and we're going to create a safe place for you to just really, you know, remember that you're, you matter, you're important and you need great clothes. So that was a lot of the the foundation of our brand was the spirit of reminding moms that they can still look fashionable and be fashionable. And it was told through this mom narrative and really as the company evolved and grew, it felt like the mom narrative was no longer relevant anymore. Not that moms weren't not well relevant at all, but it just felt like, um, I mean, we had like in our, in our advertising, we would feature kids. We would have mom, like women with their children, because we wanted to show people like this store understands moms. So we were very heavy on our storytelling was really told through the lens of moms. And we really, um, it took us actually uh, some time we spent in a focus group after about 10 years of being in business, we did something really smart. We hired um, a firm to come in, a research firm for brands. And we just took a pause and said, let's check in with our customers across the country and let's find out what they think of our brand. And so it was a really interesting exercise. I think it's very important for founders to part, take a break at some point when you've built something and, and take some time to really go in and listen to people's stories of the brand so you can figure out what is it, it is about your brand that you're going to hang on to and what are you going to let go of? Because people change, women change, you know, needs change, companies change. It's good to check in. So we, I think it was about 10 year, yeah, it was maybe 10 or 11 year check-in we did. And what we found was our customers across the country, um, these are women that love our brand. They loved our brand because they were, a, they, they didn't say this, but because we understood their needs as a mom. So they would tell, tell us things like, when I come into the store and I bring my kids, you're warm. Or you understand that I need a great pair of jeans that has, you know, that's on trend and modern, but still has some stretch. <laughs> you know, like, like they really loved what we created, but they didn't like the mom storytelling because they felt that was 
too exclusive. That their neighbor who couldn't have children or their sister who lost a child maybe feels sad when they look at our brand and think, is that for moms? That's not for me. So, and they also told us that they wanted to, um, they wanted every to be their sacred space where they didn't think about their families and their kids sometimes. And it was kind of like an escape from their world. So it was really clear after that, that, that um, session, that research, that it was, we were kind of ready to move on from the mom narrative that, that kind of, we'd been using to tell our story of our brand. So we shifted away from the narrative behind serving moms to serving women. And we did, we, we took out children and didn't position her as a mom in our advertising and our marketing. And that was like, boom, instant, like, like increase in sales. Like you it, all even of a sudden though, opened yourself up to we other... opened ourselves up, but we stayed true to what we did. We didn't let go of like our curation. <laughs> right. Or your right. mission to serve moms. I mean, or the you mission know. to serve moms. Like we, you know, we didn't stop to other than, you know, and then I tell the story a little different. Like I started saying, you know, uh, we're a store for moms. It was like, no, we're a store for women. And it started when out of me being in the dressing room and I was feeling sad and lonely. And we like just telling the story through a little bit of a different lens. So that was really interesting. And I'm really glad we did that because I think, um, we are in a time where we are all hyper aware of inclusivity and we want to make sure that everybody feels welcome when they walk in a door and we're not, we're trying hard not to exclude anybody. And I just think the timing of that um, was really well done on our part. And it really takes, I think it's, it, it's a good use of your time to check in and kind of understand what some of your favorite customers think of the brand and to make changes when you need to. As you guys have evolved and shifted, obviously, like the world around us has too. I mean, there's, like I said earlier, there was no social media when you first started and e-commerce is so big now. What is your, if you can say, what is your split between in-store and e-commerce? Our split between in-store and e-commerce, like the percentage of business. Mm -hmm. I always get my numbers wrong. I want to say I should know this. 20% 20% ecom, 80%. And it's always changing every day. Of course. But I just, that's a big variance. And I would say most retailers, it's flipped. And yeah. so, and I, and I want to point that out because I want to point out the fact that you are building an experience to invite people in. And it's almost yeah. like you, you are building an experience to invite people in. And it's kind of like, oh, if we don't have something, you can order it online. Yeah. Like, and, yeah. and that is very, very different than most retailers right now. And I, and yeah. it's so important to say, because you guys are killing it. Yeah, we are killing And we are, we believe in the power of brick and mortar stores. We are a store first company, although we are very smart and we do have our digital business is growing. It's growing fast. Look at our website. It's, I was just meeting. I just met with, before this meeting, I had a meeting with the woman who does all the styling and she's in charge of the whole team that does the photography and the styling for a website. And I'm like, you are blowing me away. And our econ business is, is doubling. I mean, it's, it's grown so fast. 
we really do. You can, you can feel this, um, two business, like you can see this brick and mortar business and this digital business. And they're every day you see them as different, but we are a relational store, get in the dressing room kind of company. So I like to say we are a store first brand and digital just supports that, but it's a growing, huge part of our business. Of course. (laughs) <laughs> of course, I don't want, I'm not trying to diminish it, but you're yeah. not an e-tailer, you know, I mean, not, you're right, a retailer. Yeah, right, right, right. Exactly. You mentioned that your own focus is shifting. How is that? How is that taking Oh place? yeah, this is super fun. So I, I like to say we work from the inside out. So we spent a lot of time focused on the things that are most important for creating success, sustainable success in the company. So that was the customer experience, the product, and the culture. And really, that's where I put my heart and soul in for the last, up until the pandemic, really, truly. Like I was, those were my focuses, product, product, customer experience, and culture. The pandemic hit, which gave me a really fun opportunity to kind of think about the future because my husband and I declared during the pandemic, we still believe in stores. We believe when people get out of this pandemic, they are going to be so hungry for human connection. They already are. They already for are. relationship, for community, for seeing people, for touching and feeling clothing. I know women really well. I've worked in stores for 18 years of my life. I know how much people love to be in a store and talk to people and to try clothes on and to have your girlfriends be like, oh, this is amazing or do this or try that. That didn't work. And look at me. Like, I know that, like, I I know that. And I know how great it feels to put on a, a cute pair of jeans and to come out of the dressing room. And everybody's like, those are amazing. You know that, and you feel great. So you dance around, like, I know that. And I know that it works. And I just, we believed it wasn't going to go away. And we, in fact, we were like, it's only going to make brick and mortar more desirable. So we did something really, really brave and really smart during the pandemic. We kind of locked arms, my husband and I were like, and during the pandemic, we also realized, holy cow, we built this company. We have over 2,500 employees whose livelihoods are in our hands. Yeah. Now, I, I took that very seriously during the pandemic, not only the health of our employees, but also the livelihoods. I felt a tremendous amount of pressure, more than I ever had, to make sure that the company that these employees put their hearts and souls into, not just survived, but thrived. Yep. And so I, I just think I had a renewed lens of my purpose. That it was, yes, it was for the customer in the dressing room, but I think the stakes got a little higher for me in terms of your job is to make sure that this company thrives so these employees don't lose their jobs. And um, I got pretty serious, like even more serious about that. And so I became really even more focused on product. And that's a whole nother story. But I also started, um, we started signing leases for bigger stores and we also 
started, I worked on designing new stores. So designing stores was not something I put my time into. (laughs) When we opened a store, my husband would sign a lease and we would um, do a build out that was pretty simple and cost effective. And uh, it was great. Like it worked for me because I was like, the magic is in the dressing room with the customers and the product. That's the magic. That's the magic. And really, I think we came to a point in the pandemic where we were building these bigger stores. And I was like, well, this is a time to kind of reimagine what the stores could look like and redesign the stores. So I started doing Pinterest boards and I started just really kind of coming up with a vision for what I wanted these new stores to look like. And we also started to really think about the facade, the outside of the stores and say, what do we want our stores to look like out on the outside? I think the pandemic gave me this creative space to actually think about the store it gave design. You pause. <laughs> it gave you yeah. a time to pause and think for a minute, yeah. like, because yeah. everyone paused. On the future of this company. So we started really redesigning stores during the pandemic. We we brought in um, Studio BV, which is an d- architect and design firm. We used our in-house talent who does a phenomenal job. We challenged them to say, you know what? We know we've been like really focused on costs, but now we're going to dream big. We're opening these bigger stores. We're going to take some risks. So let's dream even bigger now. Um, so that is something that is a big evolution for me is just, and I think people are, people are responding really well to the new store design, which is really fun. It's been very surprising. Um, so that's exciting. And then along with this bigger store comes this idea of like, oh, we need more product to fill this bigger (laughs) store. So while we were really focused and curated on a lot of denim, a lot of great tops, and our, our assortment was very versatile because it had to fit in a 2,400 square feet store. Now we have these big ginormous stores. So we have more time to think about more categories. So I'm doing a lot of thinking these days about jewelry, which was always a small part of our business. Yeah. So now it's like, oh my goodness, like a lot of my conversations right now, a lot of my research, a lot of my time, our buyer's time. A lot of what we're doing as a company is looking at at like jewelry, handbags, um, category dresses. Dresses has been something we paid attention to. Has not been a huge part of our business this spring. It's going to represent a huge part of our business, and that's really fun because we're just spending more time thinking, researching, dreaming about about dresses, and we haven't done that a lot in the past. So I, this this expansion of these categories is is really fun and exciting. I love hearing about the evolution of not only Ever Eve but of you and your yeah. involvement in Ever Eve. I think it's really exciting. I have two questions. I know we're getting close to time. Do you have time for two more quick questions? Yep. Okay. So you said at the top of our conversation that you realized that this is what you were born to do. Yep. How did you realize that? That's a great question. Well, during that time, I was, you know, asking myself, you have this dream in your heart. You're very excited about it so much so that you can't sleep at night and you're, you're something's like your body's telling you pay attention. 
but I was full of so much fear because I hadn't done it before. And I didn't know if this was like, is this what I'm supposed to do? Like, I don't know. I haven't done this before. And for some, somehow I got my hands on a book. I should find the name of the book. Everyone asks, but this book um, guy, I was doing a lot of like reading about purpose and who you are. Like, I don't know if you call it self-help or self, I don't know what it was, but um, I, I read this idea that kind of to get hints of who you are, think back to who you were when you were in fifth grade, before the world kind of creeped in and kind of started telling you who you were. This book challenged me to think about what did you do when you were on the playground when you were fifth grade? This is literally what the book asked. So I, I like, I was thinking about that, like who, what did I do in fifth grade? And then it hit me. I was on the playground starting companies. Um, I started companies so I could selling things so I could buy guest jeans. <laughs> <laughs> so like I had like business cards. I would, I, I don't know if I, you could say this now, but like I would, I had a little Kodak disc when I was in fifth grade, it was a camera and I would ask my friends what boy they thought was cute. And then I would go take a picture of the boy on the, on the playground. And then I would go get those pictures developed and I would bring them back and sell those pictures. So, um, so I could buy guest jeans, fashion. (laughs) So when I thought about that, like, that's what I used to do. I had never thought about that. Like I never thought about. You were prompted to, you were prompted and pushed to, to go back there and remember. All right. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's, that's my natural. Then like I was the kid. Every summer, starting like in third grade, I would ask my mom if I could go take things from her garage and go sell them like or from the basement and sell them, have a garage sale so I could buy clothes. Like that's what I like. That's what I did. My natural state. That's what I did. So I realized that I think you're like. a. And then I started thinking of other parts of my life, like my husband and I, when we were dating, we used to sit around in restaurants and we would talk about like, like if we had a restaurant someday, it would look like this and this and this. So we were always building businesses, like always coming up with ideas. And then I realized I've done that for my whole, like I did that starting in third grade. Like that's what I used to do for fun on the playground. And then I realized I really like to sell things. I really like to go and find things and I like to share them. So I don't know if it's sell is the right word, but I do like, even now I like to find something. I like the treasure hunt and I like to share it with other people. And now you've built a platform where you can share all the things that you love. (laughs) And so it kind of hit me like when I asked that question, and then I think when I answered that question, that's when it hit me like ding, ding, ding. Even though this is not what you know, you, you do know how to do this. This is what you were born to do. This is who you are. And that realization gave me the courage to step forward. I love it. I I love it. And I love that you were able to answer that so definitively. So thank you. Yes. My last question is the same question I ask everyone at the end of the show. And that that is, can you tell me and our listeners three actionable tips that they can take if they are going to start a business or if they're 
a little bit further along in a business and things that really they should consider? Very actionable things. Yes. Um, number one, I, you know, my mind are always like, let's see, actionable things. Whenever you have a problem, go, you, you have the ability to figure it out as long as you're willing to identify the problem and ask for help. So ask for help. <laughs> Go to the live, think of my library store. Yep. Like, I don't know how to build a store. Can you show me any ideas how you can help me? You know, I, I think that's really, really important is to own your weakness and ask for help. Number two, for me, when you're really, really busy and you're, you're running a business, it's hard to think about the future, but that's one of the most important things to do. I just, you know, I I'm very devoted to my quiet time every day and quieting down all the voices so I can listen to my voice in my own heart. And so I, I feel like actionable is carving out time to this is a huge part of my story, even if it's five minutes of quiet time, so you can think. <laughs> Very important. It mm-hmm. sounds silly, but a lot of times people go on walks and they put podcasts on or they put music on. Um, we live in a day where there's so much voice and so much stimulation. To me, it's really important for busy entrepreneurs to just quiet down all the voices so they can listen to their voice. So that's a second. Number three um, of things that they can, actionable things they can do. Oh, um, play. Play, play, play. Um, Don't be, don't take yourself so seriously that you don't allow your time to play. And playing is where the creativity and the, like the learning happens. So I think that's really interesting. It's really easy when you, especially in those years where you're really building something, you get very serious and very focused. And I think the play part, if you're not playing, trying things, experimenting, sometimes the growth doesn't happen. You've got to, you've got to give yourself permission to play a little bit because that's where the learning and growth happens. So don't forget to play. Megan Tomti, co-founder and co-CEO of Ever Eve. Thank you so much for being here. I am so honored to share your story and to just hear everything that you had to say today because this episode is filled with so many incredible takeaways for our community. And so thank you for your time. Well, I appreciate thank you, it. Lindsay. I loved it. Thank you for inviting me on. So are you feeling inspired yet? I told you you'd walk away with so much information from today's conversation and that you would love Megan even more than you already do and you would love Ever Eve even more than you already do. So there's so many takeaways from this conversation and as always, I will send them out to my email list. Make sure that you subscribe. When you do, you'll also get a lesson every single week to help grow your own business. But for now, here are my top five takeaways from today's episode. Number one, if you have an idea, write it down. Write down all of your ideas, get them all out and put them on paper. Number two, your job is to help your customers to serve them, not to sell to them. You hit your numbers not by selling, but by serving. 
Number three, women are hungry to touch and feel. They want to talk to people and try clothes on. Retail isn't dead. Number four, when you are busy and running a business, it's hard to think about the future, but that is one of the most important things that you can do as a business owner. And number five, take some time to think without voices, without stimulation, without noises around you. Quiet down the voices so that you can listen to your own voice. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure you take out your phone, scroll all the way down and click that five-star rating or, re- or leave a review so that others can find Dear Founder and the amazing stories that we share here. If you know someone who wants to start their own business or who has an idea, please share this episode with them and make sure that you tune in every single week on Tuesday and Thursday for another episode of Dear Founder.